Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You know what it is. Episode 112, for the love of the game, back at it. Let's get it. Attention, please, attention, please. This here feels like the whole entire world collapsed. Episode 112 for the love of the game. It's ATH back behind the mic. You know what it is. And the beat goes on. The New York Knicks continue to win. Yeah, they lost the night I recorded my last episode against Phoenix. Chris Paul absolutely ripped their hearts out in that game. But they have won 12 of 13 games, have started their tough road trip 2-0, and they keep finding ways. Last night, it was the two old Tibbs guys. Derek Rose and Taj Gibson were the story. They were absolutely incredible. I'll happily admit, I was wrong about bringing those guys in. I was skeptical, but there is no way, no scenario where the Knicks would be where they are, the fourth seed in the East and 37 and 28 without Taj Gibson and Derek Rose. I can go on and on about the Knicks and how much I love this team and what's happening. But I'll save some of that for a playoff preview. But I'll say this. Originally, I would have settled for a four and five clip in their last nine games. But now I'll be disappointed. Anything worse than five and four. What a year it's been for the New York Knicks. Absolutely incredible. All right. So we've got a packed show. Going to talk Western Conference playoff outlook right now and a little NFL draft recap with a couple of guests. But first, I got to get some things off my chest. Take care of a little business. All right. So the Yankees. The Yankees are playing the Astros at home with fans for the first time since those bum-ass cheaters were outed as cheating frauds. And I hope the Yanks give them absolute hell in this series. I hope Altuve and Bregman and all those guys get absolutely booed. If Altuve gets plunked, it wouldn't be the worst thing. Uh, At the time of the recording, the Yankees won the first game of the series. Seven to three. So they are one game over 500. Now they've gotten fat on some bad teams, but maybe, maybe they're getting hot. I honestly can't be too excited about them right now, but Garrett Cole is so good and his starts are must watch. And I expect him to win his first Cy Young award this year. It is nice. We complain about sports a lot in this city, but it's nice that New York city has the two best pitchers in baseball That's a good thing, and it's something that we shouldn't take for granted. A couple of quick NBA thoughts before I get into the subject of things I hate and the latest edition of NBA Asshole of the Day. A little positive shine before the negativity. So first, Russell Westbrook, my guy. Well, Russ has been on an absolute stretch lately what a stretch he's been on the Wizards are eight and two in their last 10 they are now 
in the playing game, firmly in the playing game, and the Wiz are really dangerous, really, really dangerous right now. Wouldn't want to play them in a playing game. And honestly, if I was a higher seed, I wouldn't want to have to deal with Westbrook being full Westbrook, you know, at full strength. That's just a nuisance I don't want to happen in the first round. Yeah, they won't win the series, but they'll make it really tough. Russ, who started out having a terrible season, has bounced back in a big way. So right now, at the time of the recording, Russ is averaging 22 points a game, 11 rebounds a game, and 11 assists a game. Yeah, that's another triple-double season for Russell Westbrook. If he went zeros across the board for his last remaining games, he'd still average a triple-double. Unbelievable. His shooting is 44% from the field, 31 from three. But that's a little misleading because if you take away the first two months, those numbers would look a lot better. Here are Russ's last five games, all right? Ridiculous. 22, 13, and 14. 18, 18, and 14. 15, 12, and 11. 42, 10, and 9. 14, 21, and 24. 21 rebounds in a game with 24 assists. The only other guy to do that is Wilt Chamberlain, and Russ has done it twice already. Incredible. Incredible. And, of course, the stat nerds are going to hate on it like they always hate on Westbrook, talking about the shooting splits and the inefficiency. You know, you know the norm, because those losers have never picked up a basketball in their lives, and it shows. Is Russ perfect as a player? No, no, he's not. But he's a bust my ass every time, every night type guy. And I have the utmost respect for that. Plus, now that Russ has been healthy, the Wizards are winning. Raja Bell said it on his podcast best. He said it about triple doubles when it comes to Westbrook. If it was so easy to get a triple double, everybody would be doing it. As Raja says, I'm one, I'm on the top one percentile of basketball players in the world. I've never recorded a triple-double. That's Raja Bell saying that. So, yeah. So, what Russ is doing is historic, and it's time to put some respect on the name of Russell Westbrook. He could suck on that, you stat nerds. From one overly criticized player to another, Carmelo Anthony is now 10th all-time in scoring. 10th. Crazy. Another guy who's not a perfect player by any means and has taken way more shit from the media than he deserves, but that's an incredible achievement. Just an incredible, incredible achievement. Put some respect on the name of Carmelo Anthony too, all right? Give the man his due. Unbelievable career. Unbelievable career. Okay, so now onto things I hate. The NBA last night tried a Marvel-inspired broadcast. It was the Warriors against the Pelicans. This mirrored what the NFL tried to do with Nickelodeon in one of its playoff games. I think it involved the Saints. Well, it was all sorts of bad. So, so bad. While it kind of worked for the NFL, it did not work for the NBA. It was just gross. I mean, one moment in the broadcast that summed it all up. Zion Williamson, who, by the way, is ridiculous. Awesome. Uh, shoots a three with a fireball graphic on it, only for that three-point attempt to result in an air ball. You couldn't make it up. Just so bad. I know the NBA ratings are down and they're trying new things to spruce it up. But I'll tell you this. What was on the display last night, that's not solving any problems. So now from something I hate 
to the latest edition of NBA Asshole Today. We got two winners and a bonus winner. And you'll understand why this gentleman is considered a bonus winner in a few moments. So number one, recurring winner, LeBron James. So my good buddy, LeBron James, with the Lakers playing like poo lately, even though they got a win last night versus Denver, a good win for them when LeBron set out, decided to complain about the NBA's playing game, saying, quote, whoever came up with this shit needs to be fired. Oh, but that's funny because on March 26th of last year, there was a headline where he's quoted on NBC Sports, LeBron James wants a play-in tournament for the final NBA playoffs first. For the final NBA playoff berths. Oh, is that so? So what changed LeBron from then till now? Oh, maybe it's the fact that when he said it a year ago, the Lakers weren't in a position to possibly play in the playing game. But now that the Lakers may be in the playing game, the idea sucks. So convenient, LeBron, you jackass. Oh, and those Lakers fans and LeBron apologists, like friend of the program, Carmiel Schoenfeld, who wanted context for this quote. Well, I just gave you some fucking context, all right? LeBron cares about LeBron and only LeBron. This has always been the case, and it will always be the case. He's a great player. He's a present father. You know, all the things that you got to say when you give LeBron criticism so people don't call you a racist. So I just wanted to put that in there. But to be fair, to be fair to LeBron, he isn't the only one like this. His brother and first-time asshole of the day winner, Luka Doncic, also complained about the playing game because, you know, the Dallas Mavericks are also in range to be in the playing game. Whether you like the idea of the playing game or not, you can't be complaining about it because for the sole reason that you may end up in it. Here's an idea. I know this is crazy, but win enough games to avoid the playing game. Wild concept. But that's not why Luca shares the NBA asshole of the day title with LeBron right now. Luca is one technical foul away from suspension. Honestly, I hope he gets it because that guy bitches and moans after every single call. He's a great player, but he is turning into James Harden right now. And all the things we hate about James Harden, the style of play, the constant griping to the referees, all that nonsense, Luka's doing, all right? I'm pretty tired of Luka Doncic's bullshit right now. Maybe win a playoff series before you bitch and moan about the lack of respect from the refs on every single call. I am so out on Dallas this year. I know they have an easier schedule. They'll probably not end up in the playing game, but I don't take them seriously as a real NBA contender right now to win the Western Conference and even make the finals. And now to the bonus NBA asshole of the day winner, who's not actually in the NBA, but acting very much like a diva NBA star. So we'll lump him together with Luka and LeBron today. None other than Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers on the day of the first round of the NFL draft last week drops a trade demand around 3 p.m that he's not coming back to Green Bay if they trade him or not. And he's happy to potentially just go host Jeopardy and not play for the Packers. He wants the general manager fired, and he potentially wants a new contract considering his deal has no guaranteed money on it left. Okay, so the timing of this was classic asshole of the day. Look at me, all eyes on me. 
Also, the way he gave the Packers enough time to maybe make a draft day trade. Oh, wait, he didn't do that. So he kind of screwed himself here, too, because the odds of him being traded in the offseason right now are significantly less. Oh, and why is Aaron Rodgers so mad? Besides for drafting Jordan Love a year ago, which you could have made a case for it, given Rodgers' play before last season, where his play slipped. They had Jordan Love ranked as the next highest player on the board, so the value pick was there. But other than that, they have drafted defense because that's what the team needs. Call me crazy, but that's a good general manager who's trying to win. Do the Packers have enough weapons? Oh, he has a top three wide receiver in Devonta Adams, a top 10 running back in Aaron Jones they just paid. Like, what else does he want? Besides for not wanting to live in Green Bay anymore, which I can understand. But guess what? You're an NFL quarterback who's made millions upon millions of dollars. You can live in L.A. six months out of the year. You don't have to be in Green Bay all year round to be closer to, I think, your fiance, uh, the actress. So shut up, Aaron Rodgers. You have absolutely nothing to complain about. Asshole of the day, NBA edition featuring Aaron Rodgers. Tell him why you're mad, son, as somebody would say. Well, I just did. I just did. And with that said, it's time to bring on guest one to talk a little Western Conference preview in just a matter of moments. So last episode discussed the happenings in the Eastern Conference. It was a lot of Knicks talk. You're going to get a lot more Knicks talk, as I mentioned before, uh, in the uh, days to come, weeks to come. But we got to focus on the Western Conference tonight. So we're bringing back a recurring guest, somebody who's moving overseas. So this may be one of our, um, you know, our, our final episodes together. I hope not. But uh, Mr. Josh Friedman, Josh, what's good, buddy? Aaron, glad to be here, man. Ready to talk some basketball. So we're going to start with your Lakers, all right? It couldn't be the Western Conference preview without your Lakers. Right now, they're currently the five seed. They are one game up on seven. But actually, well, before we start that, I'm going to give you a little bit of a bonus question because uh, your boy LeBron made a little uh, news, doesn't like the playing game. Surprise, surprise, it's because he may be in the playing game. Where do you stand on the playing game in terms of a concept, in terms of a format, before we start, you know, breaking down what's actually going on in the Western Conference? Where do you stand on the playing game? Yeah, I think that when it comes down to it, without looking at it selfishly as a Lakers fan, you got to look at it from a league perspective. I think it kept somewhere like six to seven teams from tanking. Um, it kept them involved and pushing for the ninth and tenth spot. Um, if it keeps teams from tanking and it makes games matter till the end of the season, then I'm all for it. Cause it just makes, it's more exciting basketball. That's what we want to see. And the, and this year is like the perfect year for it, right? Especially in the Western conference, because, and in the Eastern conference too, considering Washington's ascent and, you know, yeah. they started, uh, had a brutal start. Westbrook was clearly playing hurt. He's been great. Bradley Beal has been really good. So this year has been like the perfect year for it because in the West, you have potentially Steph Curry in it. You have potentially Damian Lillard in it. You potentially have LeBron in it. You potentially have Luka in it. Like Zion is still in the mix, even though they're basically done, but like he's been in the mix for it. So like you had this mega star power for it. Now there are going to be years where it's not going to be as exciting, but 
overall, I think it's a pretty good thing. I mean, I think it's something different. I, I don't have anything against it. Like, I understand the premise of you play 82 to get into that spot. But, you know, I could go either way. But I I, I just I, – I don't love it, love it, but I don't hate it. So I'm kind of indifferent. But I like the fact that it keeps more teams interested. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I think it takes into account or it helps teams that maybe got off to a slow start. Certainly this year, some teams got hit by COVID earlier – or let's say teams got an injury like, you know, whether Westbrook was hurt at the beginning or not. It took time for those teams to gel and now they're playing much better. And, you know, if it wasn't for this plan, they would be done and they probably would have given up a while ago. Um, but it lets teams have this, uh, you know, mid to late start to the season, get hot. And uh, that could really carry over into, into a meaningful playoff series. And not just that. It's about the revenue stream. If it's additional revenue, that means the pie is bigger. That means the NBA players can potentially get paid more. So having said that, the Lakers right now are the five seed. They had a good win last night against Denver, um, even without LeBron James. But they are one game out of seventh, and they don't have the tie breaks, I think. They don't have the tie break against Dallas. They may have it against Portland, depending on what happens in their game later on in the year. So where are you at with this Laker team right now? On a scale of one to 10, how nervous are you about them uh, going forward and, and really making a finals and a championship push? Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's real nervous. Uh, I, I think the level of, uh, of nervous, nervousness is high. Um, Woj just came out a few hours ago that LeBron's going to sit out two more games. So um, the injury concern is real. Um, and I think anyone who says that it's not is, uh, is, not, is not telling you the truth. Um, I mean, they've lost six out of the last eight. Uh, obviously, they've been hurt. Uh, you know, they've had injuries, but the schedule is uh, not going to be kind to them. Clippers, Portland, Phoenix, New York coming up. Uh, four teams that are battling for playoff spots that want to play to the end. So it's not going to be easy. And LeBron missing the next two, two more um, certainly does not make it easy, especially the Portland one which is, uh, you know, a team we want to keep down in the seventh spot. So I, I think we're, I think we're nervous. Um, but again, I think that nervousness, that nervousness is just health. Uh, if we can get healthy, even if it's for the last four games, last three games, LeBron comes back healthy. Um, you know, I, I'm not so worried about them having time to gel. I think that they can get through the first round of the playoffs. Um, hopefully with that. Uh, but, uh, but I think it's all about health. We're just praying for health right now. The Lakers went through it last year, so they get the benefit of the doubt, right? That's what happens when you win a title. You get the benefit of the doubt. So I, I'm with you that it's really a, a health thing, even though that there are a lot of new pieces to this Laker team, right? Yeah. You have the Schroeder thing, and he's missing some time. You have the – they're trying to figure out this Andre Drummond situation, even though I think he's going to get pushed to the side uh, when push comes to shove in a playoff series because – if they're going to, if they're going to be able to, you know, if they're going to play Denver in the first round, right. You're going to see a lot more Marcus Gasol being matched up against uh, Jokic. And I think you're going to see a lot more Davis at the five. Uh, so it, it's definitely for, for me as an outsider and, and a, and a Lakers hater, because I love to give uh, you guys in the chat, a lot of mess about the Lakers. Uh, it really comes down to health, but you want to be rounding into form now. So the fact that LeBron is still hobbled and the fact that Davis is not right. I mean, I have my thoughts on Anthony Davis uh, that I think I've been proven right over this year, but 
it's just a, um, it's a weird, it's a weird position to be in, right? So like, for example, like if you're the Lakers, right? And let's look at the standings. Theoretically, if Utah ends up, and, and even Phoenix, right? If Utah and Phoenix end up in the uh, in the uh, the two spot, and the Lakers end up, you know, at seven, right after the whole play-in tournament, I know if I'm Utah, I have no desire to see the Lakers. And in fact, as somebody who can't stand the Lakers and can't stand LeBron James, I would fully expect the Lakers to beat Utah in the first round. Yeah, so assuming, just, assuming they can get enough games in right. um, together as a team before the before the playoffs start, I, I, I would agree with that. Before we go, what's your deal with Anthony Davis? All right. What are your thoughts on Anthony Davis? Um, you know, it, listen, like you said earlier, uh, he, he won a title. So the benefit of the doubt is given. Um, the guy can – he can perform at the highest level and come through at the greatest moments – uh, we saw that with a game winner at the buzzer in the playoffs in the, in the conference finals. So I don't think that he needs to prove himself anymore. Um, I, you know, whether he came back in shape or not, you know, he definitely, we talked even about a little about that last year, how he looked uh, physically in the playoffs. And I definitely think that he's not your natural big man. He's almost like he's a guard playing a big, um, but, uh, but listen, same thing I said before. If he can just get healthy, I'm confident that he will he'll come through. I'm confident that he'll, he'll be clutch. I'm confident that he'll be on the defensive side of the ball. So um, as long as he can keep that leg, they can massage it as much as they want on the sideline. Doesn't make a difference to me. Um, I have confidence uh, once uh, push, push comes to shove that he'll be ready for us. I just think he's the most overrated player in the NBA. That's fair. That's fair. And, and that's fine. And he's not the number one on the team right now. So he doesn't have to be. And that's right. the beauty. He, he doesn't, doesn't have, have to be. be. And, and right. I don't think anybody in in Lakers town is saying that he is. I don't think anybody's I mean, certainly not this year, pushing him, pushing for him to be on an all NBA team, obviously with the injury and the missed games. So um, you know, but I but I will say, you know, if he if playoff time comes and he proves himself again you know, 25 and 10 in the playoffs all the way through and, and comes through clutch, then we can call him soft. We can call him a number two. It doesn't matter. Scotty's one of the greatest ever, and he was a number two. So uh, as long as he wins titles for me, I don't care. You can call him whatever you want. Those are all fair points. I guess being a media member myself, I like to push back against the media narrative that says that Anthony Davis is a top five player in this league. And when they say that, it drives me crazy. First of all, you can name Durant, Curry, LeBron, Giannis, Embiid, Jokic, right off the bat. That's already six, right? That's already six. Luka, seven. So whatever. I don't want to get too far into my – There was was a time when he was carrying those Pelicans teams. Maybe that was with DeMarcus where his numbers were just insane. But I think – Hold on one second. One playoff win in eight years – if you're a top five guy in this league, you do more than that. Like Kevin Garnett was saddled with some of the worst teams ever, right? He got them out of the first round, out of the second round, right? He made the playoffs more than twice. So I'm just saying, but he's in the perfect spot for him right now because he gets to play with LeBron James. So that's yeah. I think I think uh, I think I think talent wise, you know, he he, cer- he certainly could be considered a top five. I mean, the guy can do everything. He's 
seven foot. He can he can block Composo's three running out to the three point line last night and save the game. And he can you know post up inside and scoring up and under he is there's nothing he can't do on a basketball court so i think that's where the top five le- talent level but i agree with you carrying his team is not his his uh his cup of tea and i think that's why he went to la to join lebron i think he wanted to be successful and didn't necessarily care carry carry sorry care or about carrying a team can't can't argue with the results even though it was uh it was a bubble uh a bubble type i'm just joking i i don't honestly believe that uh so <laughs> Which is the okay? So Lakers big picture. Uh, which is the first round series you fear the most, and which is the first round series that you would want the most ideally? Um. Yeah. So I, you know, seeing the standings now and seeing Denver actually jump into three, um, I actually would prefer. I, I would love Denver in the first round. That's the truth. Really. Um, I don't think they defend well enough. Uh, you know. We can talk about Porter's potential, but I would still say that that team, even with the crazy bubble run, which I think was more the Clippers losing it, um, I I think that they can handle the Nuggets. I'm not worried about the Nuggets. Um, I'm kind, you know, the Jazz scare me a little. It's hard to win in Utah, but you know, again, I think that's more dependent on our health. I, I, I would say I'm not really concerned about Phoenix much. I, I know it's, it's hard to say that. I know their record is what it is, but that team's basically Jay Crowder's got experience. Chris Paul's got experience and, and no one else has playoff experience. So, you know, as good as their record is, that's a big, that's a, that's a tough hill to climb when you're that young and all those players are brand new. So Crowder and, and Paul can, you know, unless they're going to play 40 minutes a game, I think there's a lot to learn. Uh, you know, I, I don't see DeAndre Ayton coming through uh, as a crunch time in playoffs. And, and I think that's a big difference. As much as those guys, Cam Johnson and Mikel Bridges have chipped in, I think the playoffs are another level. I, yeah, number one, I don't want to play the Clippers. Do not. I think the Clippers match up well. I think the Clippers know how to play the Lakers. Um, I would love to see it as a, you know, do I think that the Clippers could win the title more than anybody else? I don't. I just, for matchup reasons, I personally do not want to see the Clippers. It's certainly in the first round. You know, at some point we got to play them, obviously. Um, and I would love it to be as late as possible. But listen, you got to play them whenever you got to play them. So I'm sort of hoping that first round can be a team like Denver, where, you know, not to, not to you know, put down anything Denver has accomplished. And Jokic is probably one, is like the most talented player in the league, possibly. Um, but I think they would, they'd almost be able to use the, that series to like find their groove, to be honest. I would love to see Lakers Clippers in the first round because somebody's going to get their feelings really, really hurt, right? The fact that the Lakers would lose to little brother in the playoffs would be great for me. If the Lakers beat the Clippers, you know, there, something's got to change for the Clippers. Paul George gets traded. Craziness is going to happen. Like, I, I'd love to see that. If I'm a Lakers fan, I wouldn't want to see Denver just because Jokic is the MVP of the league, right? And and he's just he's just tough. And they have two guys who can get their own bucket at the end of the games in Jokic and Porter Jr. Yeah, the, the Murray thing hurts, but I'm actually of the opinion that Denver's ceiling, I don't think it's not that much lower, even though Murray's hurt, because because 
obviously you want good players to be out there, right? But Porter Jr., what he's able to do with the shot making at his size is just nuts. Uh, I agree with you on I agree with you about Phoenix, except for the fact that again, at the end of games, like Booker can get his own, right? Paul can get his own. I would want to see Utah the most because I just don't think they have enough guys that can get their own at the end of games. It's a lot of Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell's really good, but that's but if and I've, I've hearkened on this point for a long time. If Rudy Gobert's your second best player and is making max money, I don't take you seriously as a playoff contender. I just don't. So I, if I'm the Lakers, I want to see Utah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, in terms of top talent, I would agree with you that I think Utah's lacking a top talented player. Um, again, it's hard to win. They only lost four games in Utah all year. It's really hard to win in Utah. Uh, that crowd, that arena, um, it, it's tough. And maybe um, there may be fans back at that point. So who knows? Actually, that's yeah. something I didn't really, con- I didn't really consider that. But yeah, so I, 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 I don't think I would love them in the first round. I, I'd honestly rather uh, the inexperienced Phoenix. I, I think those guys, like you said, yeah, it's true. It's Rudy Gobert, but they've got talent up and down. Uh, you know, they're not so deep. I would say they're seven deep, but their seven are, are talented. They're set, all seven can score. Um, they're unselfish. Nobody's uh, hogging the ball, even though I think probably Mitchell shoots a little too much. But um, for the most part, I-, I would say a deep, talented team is a little bit harder for the Lakers. You know, they were able to take out Portland because they can, you know, they can they can uh, zone in on 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 uh, on Dame. They took out, uh, you know, they took out the Rockets last year because they could zone in on Harden and make other guys beat you. Houston just has a lot of guys. I- I'd be worried about leaving anybody open. And the same thing with Denver. You know, so we have to send a double team to Jokic and okay, you want to, you want to take air an Aaron Gordon jumper or a Compazzo three. I'll take that. No problem. Um, you know, and uh, most, most guys would say that about my guys also about Pope and Caruso, but they've, they've proven already. And those other guys are on. They get the benefit of the doubt. That's what happens when you win. You get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. So I, I don't want to leave, you know, I don't want to leave Conley and, and, and Bogdanovich open uh, on the weak side, or even Joe Ingles. I think I think all those guys can play, and I I, uh, I think that they've they've got a again. They're, I don't I think they're not, not more than seven, but I think that top seven's got talent. So we touched on Denver just a little bit just now. Um, you know the Jamal Murray injury hurts torn ACL. We saw what he does does in the bubble. I mean he was absolute lights out, but he he's been a little Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, so. They've won. They're nine and two in their last eleven since the the Murray injury. What what are you seeing from Denver besides for Jokic's brilliance that impresses you the most? Yeah, um, it, it's funny, right? Because uh, you know Murray goes down, and you kind of just lean on Jokic a little more, and leaning on Jokic a little more usually means the more wins. Um, and it's in, it's incredible that Jokic has. Right, he's number two in the league in minutes played, uh, behind Julius Randall, which is just which is just insane to to look at that man and he bangs down low and you know uh, it's just it's really really impressive to see that he's been doing it that long and they've been leaning on him all year. 
with Denver, I think their issue is, is, is just, fi- I think it's firepower. You know, I, I think that, you know, as much as Jokic creates uh, at end of games, like I said, you want to surround him with shooters. You want to surround him with guys who can create their own shot. And yes, Porter is that guy, but, but Porter's kind of slid into the Murray role right now. So um, beyond that, is there anybody that strikes fear in me? Anybody that I'm concerned about either getting in their own shot or creating their own um, you know, I, I'm not. And I think that's, you know, I, I'm happy to leave PJ Dozier open or, or Compazzo or like I said, Aaron Gordon, any one of those guys. Um, I think when it comes down to it, when teams buckle down on defense and you're not getting, uh, you know, turnovers and, uh, and uh, fast breaks, I think that uh, I, I think that's going to hurt them for their lack of depth. So I, t- I think the Murray, like you said, I, they've definitely been successful. I think in the end, it's going to give them a lower ceiling. Porter Jr., the, sh- the size, the fluidity is just, it's remarkable. And, and these shots that he's like, he's making shots that are contested, but because he's got such a high release point, he gets so, so high tall. in the air. Yeah. He's, I've said this for a while. Uh, so I guess I'll reiterate it here. Like Denver doesn't have to choose between him and Murray, right? Only if they want to make a trade. But to me, Porter Jr. was always the more valuable piece than Murray. I know Murray had had the the unbelievable bubble run and and the the shootouts with uh, Mitchell last year. But to me, Porter was always more important to the long term viability of Denver. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, it could be, you know, this is an opportunity with with uh, with Murray out. It's an opportunity for Porter to really shine. Uh, to get over 20 a game in the playoffs, to prove it, to do it efficiently. Um, uh, so it's certainly an opportunity for him, which would make for a really interesting offseason, uh, deciding what to do with Murray. It's almost like if they could turn Murray into a few uh, reliable assets, uh, you know, veteran players, that might be the road to go with Jokic and Porter and, and more veterans rather than just this three-headed, uh, three-headed monster, but, uh, but more youngins on the, on the, on the back end. And Porter's been much better defensively. Like, that was the other thing I noticed. Last year, he was absolutely lost. This year, he's, he's a much better help defender. He's getting these chase-down blocks. I mean, he's such a fluid athlete at that size. And Aaron Gordon's been – his jump shot looks a little bit more crooked, but he, he just does some things, right? He does some things, and he's a tremendous defensive player. So I, I kind of like Denver. It's weird. I kind of like Denver and the Clippers who are like the three and the four seed right now, a little bit better as title contenders than Phoenix and Utah. It's strange. It's strange how that works. Listen, you, I mean, listen, you, Denver got to the conference finals last year. And so you have what to trust there. And, uh, and the Clippers certainly have top level talent. So, you know, all, all that does make sense. So um, I guess transitioning now. So Suns versus Jazz. Who do you buy more as a as a title contender? Uh, yeah. So right. So uh, people will often like to say the uh, the <laughs> the team with the best player in the series usually wins. Um, I think in that case, uh, most likely Phoenix would have uh, the the two best players in that series, if they were ever to get to each other, 
Um, you know, whether you, where, whether you want to put Mitchell better. I still think Mitchell's a little bit better than Booker, but I, I think Chris Paul is, is, is the, dis, the difference maker there. Yeah, I, I, I would probably pick Phoenix. Um, if it was between the two, who's more of a contender? Um, as much as I said, the Lakers, I don't want them to play Phoenix. I, I don't want that. You know, I'd rather play Utah. Um, I think potential and who's got the higher ceiling. I actually think it's Phoenix. They can put up, they can put up real numbers. They can all shoot, um, you know, and if Chris can get them over the hump of uh, with their, you know, overcome that inexperience, I think they have, they have talent. So they, I would say they have the most talent. Yeah. The thing with Phoenix and I agree with you, because I think, I think Phoenix is a higher ceiling. I trust Phoenix more. Um, again, I'm not a go bear guy. So I always kind of look at Utah a little side-eyed. DeAndre, it's the DeAndre Ayton thing, especially in a series with the Lakers, right? Lakers are big. Can give Phoenix a whole bunch of problems. And I don't, I don't, I just want to see what DeAndre Ayton looks like in in an important playoff series. Cause I think he's the, he's the swing piece for, for the Suns. So moving down the order, right? So we'll, we'll leave the Lakers out of this grouping. Um, the, the next uh, group of teams, Dallas, Portland, Memphis, Golden State. Who to you is the scariest playoff team in terms of potentially making a run of those four teams? Yeah, so... Um... I mean, by record, you would say Portland is closest to the top with their record. Um, I, uh, you know, like I mentioned to you earlier, uh, preseason, I thought Portland was going to take a step back. I know they've had injuries. Um, I, I just, I feel like they're always in the mix and they never really make a push come playoff time. So they don't really scare me very much. Um, you know, none of these teams, I would say, scare me to get deep into the playoffs. But in terms of a first round upset, um, I actually think the the gritty the grittiness of the Grizzlies is certainly not something to overlook. Um, I think they would make it tough for anyone to win. I think back to um, I think back to some of the old Memphis teams, Tony Allen and Zach Randolph, um, and just some uh, really you know really gritty teams and and you know good defense. So they would certainly be a, a um, someone to look out for. And I think it's hard to count out Steph. I mean, if Steph can put up. 40 in in you know in four games in a series um or that or he's going to get you know you're going to double team and he's going to get guys open shots um you know I, I think golden state has its off nights and it's on nights and that's usually dependent upon steph but um you know i certainly would be afraid of playing steph in a playing game and certainly in a series as well i would say that it's funny you said that because those are the two lowest seeds of the of the bunch and i'm in agreement this Portland thing, I, I'm just, I'm just off. I don't think they defend well enough. I know the numbers with Nurkic say they're good. I know they've just won four straight again. I don't know. I, I just, I, there's something about them that I just, I can't get behind. And I'm out on Dallas. I'm just out. They play way too much Harden ball or mm-hmm. classic Harden ball for my liking with Luca. I know Luca's tremendous. But that doesn't win in the playoffs. It just doesn't. We've seen it, right? Because Houston tried and they failed. And they can tell you all, they can complain about referee reports and all this other nonsense.
but it just ne- it was never gonna work. It reminds and- me a little bit of a uh, Bulls pre ninety one, right? Yeah, a lot of Jordan hero ball. Yeah, and, and it just it just doesn't just doesn't work. And I I think that's gonna be the Mavericks undoing. I, I know. I think the Mavericks may actually get up to five because of their schedule versus the Lakers schedule. I just, I'm out on the Mavericks, but there's something gritty about the the Grizzlies that you mentioned. And Steph Curry is, I mean, he deserves the respect. And it's funny that the two lower seeds that were both in agreement that, uh, that they're, that we think that they can go further in the playoffs and and make things more interesting. What if I told you this, that the three biggest title favorites are all in the Eastern Conference? What would you say? Oh, I would say that uh, you're close. You're close to be correct. <laughs> I'm not sure I would call all three. Um, I would certainly believe uh, if someone were to tell me the top two were there. Um, I think, uh, you know, Brooklyn and Philly have as good a shot as anybody to win the title. Um, uh, you know, the Bucks got to do more for me to, to, to get into that group. Um, I know the truth is that Philly also needs to do more for me, although I think that Philly's taken a step forward. I think they've got more uh, all-around players. You know, I trust Doc a little bit more. Um, but, uh, even, though, even though in recent years, I'm not sure Doc has given us so much to trust. But, you know, we've seen an improvement for them to be an elite tier one team. Um, the Bucks are like on, you know, they're on year three of Coach Bud, and uh, every time in the playoffs they've come up short. So I'm not sure what this year stands out to me more than other Clippers years. Clippers East, the Bucks are Clippers East. Except yeah, I hear that. Except for the fact that Giannis is only 26 years old, and <laughs> and they have you know room to grow in that respect, but. I, I think, listen, I think that had Drew Holiday come in and been a star from day one and they, we felt like they had three stars, we would have felt that. Um, not necessarily to see it in their record. I don't mind seeing it in the record or not, but we would have felt, oh, wow, these three play together and these three, you know, it's really become a, 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 a deep team. I, I, there's a lot of DiVincenzo, there's a lot of Pat Connaughton, like, there's a lot of a Bobby, Bobby Portis. So, you know, you're relying on a lot of these guys and well, you're trying to make up for it with these three top heavy guys. But I, I'm just not sure that that really makes them a contender in my eyes. Well, they look pretty good against Brooklyn the last two nights. That they did. And, they did. and Giannis seems to take a real liking to, to giving it to the Brooklyn Nets, which I personally enjoy because I hate the Brooklyn Nets and I love Giannis. So this is, this is wonderful. I do really like the Tucker pickup, um, even though, you know, I'm, I'm not sure on the statute. defense. Yeah, I'm not sure on the statute. He's really coming through. I mean, you know, three points, three rebounds, two assists, one steal in 20 minutes. But I think that those are va- valuable minutes. Very valuable minutes. Makes Durant work. He's he made Durant work the last two games. And yeah. I know Durant, you know, scores easier than anybody else in the league. But he's made him work. And... And I just, I don't know. Milwaukee is doing things later on in the year that are different than they were doing a little bit earlier. It's a little bit more pick and roll with Giannis than just giving him the rock. And they're just doing different things. I, I, I think that the top three play, uh, title contenders are, 
Again, the Lakers are a wild card with, with the health. But, like, right now I would say the top three playoff contenders are definitely in the East, which is weird because everybody was raving about the Western Conference and how deep it is. And it is deep. Don't get me wrong. But it's, I, it's I think, a yeah. weird year for the West because, like, West has a top anything five. can happen. The West has a top five that no one really knows who's going to come out of that top five. And I feel like on the East, people feel pretty confident it's going to be Philly or Brooklyn, which is why there's more confidence in the East because you don't really know who's going to come out of the West. So all said and done, how do you think one to eight shakes out in the um, in the Western Conference? Where, where, where do we think everybody uh, stands? That's a good question. Um, without knowing uh, <clears throat> without knowing their schedules uh, by heart to finish. Um, I think Phoenix is, Phoenix is young. Um, I don't think they rest guys, uh, down the stretch. I think they want home court. They're going to feel comfortable with home court. So I think they, they make a strong push for home court. Um, Utah is a little bit older. I could see them easing off the gas a little bit. I think they'll come in too. Um, I, I think the Clippers take three back from Denver. Uh, you know, yes, Denver's been playing well since Jamal came back. Um, but at some point, that offense, uh, the lack of offense is going gonna, is gonna to hurt them. And, and I agree with you on that. They'll come back down to earth a little bit. Um, for instance, you know, they just lost last night to the Lakers. They've got the Knicks coming up. They've got Utah, Brooklyn. It's a, it's a, a, a hard four, although that, um, I'm glancing now at their schedule. The end is a little bit easy, Charlotte, Minnesota, Detroit. So they've got some easy ones at the end, but I could see, uh, Den- you know, the Clippers taking three and Denver taking four. I'm praying my Lakers stay at five and get get the Nuggets at four. So that could be wishful thinking on my part. Um, and and uh, I'm pretty confident. I'm you know uh, Dallas did a great job tonight. Took out took out Miami in Miami. I thought I thought Miami would win that game. Um, it's good for the New York Knicks because I don't want to see Miami in the first round. I'm trying to yeah. keep Miami out of the four five line. I, I know you do. I know you want it. To. So yeah. So I think uh, I think the the Lakers. Uh, Hopefully get to five, um, and uh, and uh, Dallas falls to six. Um, that way, you know, I'd love to see, uh, you know, e- either way. However, that plays out, I just really want the Lakers to play the Nuggets. Um, so the way the 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 playing work, right? So you have seven plays eight, and the winner takes seven. Is that correct? Correct. And then the winner of nine and ten plays eight to get the eighth seed. Right. So. Um, so it, it, it's funny because uh, I actually think that the the nine seed may have an advantage here. Um, you know, Portland's going to stay at the seven seed. So, it, you know, if you at, you know if I'm Golden State, yeah, do I let Denver take the eight uh, take let let Memphis take the eight seed? Have to play Denver. I get to play San Antonio. I think they'd be happy with that. Memphis, um, and then Memphis. Memphis loses, and then we got to play Memphis, which you know uh, might have been better to begin with. So, uh, you know, I, I could see Golden State re- resting, uh, resting Steph a little bit, making sure he's fresh for, for that, those two games. Um, so uh, Memphis getting eight, Golden State getting nine, and just the impressive San Antonio Spurs. I mean, uh, <laughs> the fact that they're just in there is just pops amazing. Pops amazing. Yeah. Just doesn't have the horses, though. He doesn't have the horses. He does if not. I- no, not right. Not, not for one instrument, not for one iota of his coaching. Uh, they just, they don't have the horses and the truth is I'm not, yeah. I mean, we could discuss them another time. I'm not sure what their long-term play is. Uh, DeRozan's not getting younger. 
Uh, and I don't think any of the guys they have on the team right now are stars. And I'm not sure San Antonio has a history of, I mean, they don't have a history of attracting stars. So they kind of got to make some move for some picks and get into a top yeah, 10. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're another Kawhi. Yeah, they're, they're stuck. They're stuck. They just need a draft pick to pop right now. I mean, I mean, they have talent. Murray's a good pick. You know, Murray's good. Um, you know, Walker's good. A lot of those guys. Calvin Johnson's a nice player. Calvin Johnson's good. Derek White's good. They've got a lot of talent, but they need to find a star. And uh, in order to get out of this, you know, middle of the road in the West, they've really got to find a star. I'm not sure how they're, they're going to do that. So here's my predictions. I'm with, I'm with you. With Phoenix taking the one seed, I think Mitchell being out, uh, Utah is going to drop to two. I think the Clippers and Nuggets are going to flip-flop. Clippers are going to be three. Nuggets are going to be four. I think Dallas is going to maintain the five. I think the Lakers are going to play six. So that gives you the Lakers, Clippers in the first Mm -hmm. round. Um, I think Portland and Golden State will most likely be seven and eight. And if you're Phoenix and then you get Stephen Curry in the first round, I think that can be a seven-game series because Steph Curry is, you know, is who he is, and they've won. Like, they've got to have guys who've won, and it'll be an interesting test for Phoenix. And let's be honest, that would be – the NBA would, you know, best-case scenario, you got Chris versus Steph, you got Steph going off. Uh, I I think people would love that, and it would be, you know – the most exciting round of the first round series, even with yeah. possibly Clippers Lakers, which is a little bit more slow it down and slug it out. Um, the offense and the, the the shots that be flying in the uh, Golden State Phoenix series. Would can be you exciting. can you believe we're two weeks away from playing games? Crazy, crazy two weeks away. Really crazy. I mean, we knew it would be a shorter season, but it, we just kind of like went from uh, you know uh, the All Star game to doing seeding for the playoffs. It was a quick jump. Hold on to your butts, everybody. Anyway, Josh Friedman, always a pleasure. This was wonderful. Thank you, Aaron. um, I will, uh, I'll continue to needle you Laker fans on a constant basis. A little yin and yang action. And um, so, so so if they do get the Clippers in the first round and they put, and they, and they put them down, we're going to put this conversation to rest about the Clippers being a title contender. That would be fun if we could do that. Yes. Yes. I, I I think it would be uh, dead and buried. um, And I'll have to, I think LeBron would get pretty, uh, would would get pretty into it right from the start. If that were the case. You'd like to assume so. Yeah. You'd like to assume so, but then I'd have to hear it from Javin Fard, which is uh, the worst. Anyway, that's uh, we'll we'll deal with that when the time comes. Josh, always a pleasure, man. And um, obviously, we're going to be uh, we'll be chatting throughout, and uh, speak to you soon. Thanks so much for It was fun. Thanks so much. So I teased it before we had two guests on tonight. Second guest as a recurring guest, a very special recurring guest. We have to recap the draft. Uh, specifically when it comes to the New York Giants. We may talk about the New York Jets. That's something I just uh, sprung on him just now. But Shy Elberger's back. Shy, what's good? What's good? All hail, Lord Gettleman. Oh, stop. All right. Yeah, well, I, I know he. I know he's not feeling great because he's fresh off uh, the second dose of the COVID vaccine. So it may his brain still may be foggy. All right, so let's jump right in. Okay, so the Giants draft, right? They had the 11th pick. Things broke not really the way they wanted. I think the swing pick was at five when Panay Sewell, the offensive tackle, didn't go to five, meaning Jamar Chase got picked there, meaning that Waddle went six. And that means uh, that the Giants 
in terms of the big three wide receivers that they were looking at was Devonta Smith. And once the, uh, the two corners went eight and nine, Devonta Smith was, uh, it was no secret that that's who the Giants really were targeting at the 11th pick. And then, you know, the Dallas trade happens with uh, Philly. Philly jumps the Giants at 10 because they were looking for a playmaker and, uh, and a pass catcher. So they take Devonta Smith, forcing the Giants' hand to trade down. They trade with the Bears. They pick up a future first-round pick and a, um, and a 20th pick. So all in all, Shy. What did you think of the first round that Thursday? What did you think of Gettleman's performance? And everybody who's, you know, giving him so much love for trading down, like, is that really that accurate given everything that took place? Like, does he deserve all that praise? So I'll say, first of all, as you and and your listeners know, over the years, I – have been very critical of Dave Gettleman. My my dislike for him is not a secret. And I'm, I'm actually happy that this affords me the opportunity to show that I am objective and uh, not set in my ways in terms of, you know, I'm not going to bash every single thing he does. You know, I actually like the free agency that the Giants had. And uh, yeah, so for the draft, Gettleman, certainly, I loved what the Giants did in the first few rounds, uh, round one specifically. The way it broke, uh, which to your point, I don't think anyone foresaw that um, I think the top four targets that the Giants had in mind uh, were from Alabama and the top two cornerbacks, which I think I had said um, the other week on your podcast. Funny, my 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 prediction for JC Horn, actually he went eighth. So you know it wasn't so out, uh, you know, such a crazy pick. He actually went ahead of Patrick Sertan. Um, so that was interesting. I do think, you know, I think what it shows to me is the influence that Joe Judge has at this moment. Um, I, I I can't prove it, obviously, but I really don't think if uh, Pat Shermer were still the coach that the Giants would have maneuvered like they did. I think this was a, a, t- a classic New England Patriots type of move. Joe Judge understanding value and future assets and all that stuff. So, yeah, I do think, though, Gettleman is, you know, he is the GM. He is the decision maker when it all is said and done. And if, if he's allowing judge to influence a lot of what happens, then I do give Gettleman credit for allowing that to happen. Um, And especially, I think you would be surprised maybe how many general managers, especially when they might know, or it's thought that, you know, this is a make or break year. Like we all assume if the giants have a losing record this year, that Gettleman is likely getting fired. So in those situations, a GM is much less likely to forego current year assets in exchange for future year assets, because what do they care what happens next year? They need to win this year. So I kind of thought maybe that was Gettleman's, uh, you know, plan and free agency, honestly, when we signed all those guys and, you know, up against the cap and which we are going to feel in the next couple of years. But I was like, well, Gettleman doesn't care what the cap is going to be in 
next year, 2023, you know, he's got to win this year, but this, this trade back with Chicago getting the bears first rounder next year, uh, in addition to their fourth rounder next year and a fifth rounder this year that they used to trade up in round three. Uh, that was just a great trade considering how the board broke. Uh, when, when Horn went eight to Carolina and then Denver also at nine was also like, uh, you know, I really didn't know if people thought they might take fields. They might take Micah Parsons. They might take Rashawn Slater. And they went with Sertan. Then it was like, oh, Dallas picking 10. Everyone mocked Sertan to them or Horn, like one of the two cornerbacks. Now Dallas really got like, I guess maybe not because they got Michael Parsons, but like those two corners went off the board right before them. You knew Dallas was not taking a receiver. And so I was like, oh, Devontae Smith to the Giants is now a lock. Um, and then all of a sudden you just see on TV, you know, the Eagles are now on the clock. And at first you're like, wow, Dallas and Philly traded. That's crazy. And then you realize that I, I really can't remember, not that I would remember every time, but I really can't remember divisional teams trading in the first round. Uh, it just, that was crazy. And, and the Cowboys knew who they were giving to the Eagles. So, you know, it wasn't like, a you know, before the draft, you know, you trade picks from like 13 or to 20 and you don't know what's going to happen. Like Philly traded up to 10 to take Devontae Smith. So once that happened, you know, now the Giants are on the clock and I'm thinking like, oh, sh shoot, you know, both Alabama receivers are gone. Both corners are gone. I said to you last week, I really didn't think they were going to take offensive line and Slater's there. So I was like, oh, maybe they just will take Slater. You know, I really didn't think they would take Micah Parsons. But I also didn't think those four guys would all be taken already. So I was like, oh, they're going to have to. You know, they're going to take someone who they really were not wanting to take. And then and then you see bears are on the clock and you're like, oh, oh, man, they, they really traded down. They traded down to 20. Like, I got to see what this haul is um, and what it was, uh, you know, with, with what they got from the bears. I was very, very pleased with how that how that panned out. OK, so how much credit can you give to Gettleman here? Because. My biggest thing, and again, it's no secret that I, I really pined for Devonta Smith. Uh, I just think he's going to be a special, special player, like Jerry Rice level, you know, talent. Um, that, that's just my feeling. And I, it hurts that the, uh, that the Eagles are basically they were going to have to play him for the next seven years. Uh, that, that really sucks. But, yeah, I, I get that the hall was great. But, like – you know, everyone in the world seemed to know that Devonta Smith was going to be the pick. Like, how can you let, if that's your guy, if you're Gettleman, how can you let it get out to the point where somebody else is going to be able to leapfrog you? Like, that's where I, I feel like all the credit he gets, like, it's kind of, it's, it's not as well-deserved as, as it should be because he let it basically be known what his intentions were so everybody else can maneuver around him. And he was stuck standing there with his pants around his ankles. So, I mean, I, I don't know how things kind of get out 
And I mean, San Francisco, I really thought was taking Mac Jones. And when they took Trey Lance, that was very surprising. But like what you would kind of heard out of San Francisco was that they like, they were going to take Mac Jones. So I guess it is, you know, it is possible to kind of keep it really under wraps, but in my mind, you know, it, it was the Giants had said, you know, Gettleman and Mara after the season had said they need to add dynamic playmakers. Um, Judge obviously has these close ties to Alabama with Saban. And so it just connecting the dots made sense that they really liked Waddle and they really liked Smith and Sertan also Alabama. And J.C. Horn, who is the guy I mentioned, um, I think. I don't know what, what came out that, uh, you know, what little tidbits these reporters had heard, but they just seem to really like them. But when you're picking 10 and you know, you know, I, people thought assumed four quarterbacks were going to go top 10 that, you know, if, if Smith and Sertan and, or, or Smith and Horn, you know, and Rashawn Slater were all available I, I didn't know who they would take out of those three. I, I don't know if, if anyone really could know, but with Waddle gone and the two corners gone, it just seemed like the fact that they, they wanted to get, a, you know, an explosive receiver, the ties to Alabama, I guess it was known that they liked Devonta Smith. I, I mean, everyone did kind of, and the Eagles maybe just didn't want to take that chance. Maybe they thought it was 50-50 that the Giants would take Smith or not Smith. And, you know, the Eagles really need receiver help, and they felt there's a big drop-off after. So, you know, in their mind, it was worth it. So, I don't know. I don't I, – I, I can't really blame Gettleman for, like, getting out there. At the same time, a few years ago, 2016, I guess it was really known that the Giants wanted Leonard Floyd – or Jack Conklin. And I think those, I think the, the bears and the Titans, like both traded up ahead of the giants to take those guys. And then the giants were caught with their pants at their ankles and ended up just taking Eli Apple. And we all know how that turned out. So from that standpoint, just comparing it to that, you know, the giants panicked and took Eli Apple. And this time, Maybe Joe Judge, you know, they didn't panic. They said, all right, let's let's talk to the Bears. We spoke to them, uh, you know, maybe before the draft. And, you know, let's see what we can do now. We don't need to just reach. We, did, we didn't want to take Rashawn Slater. Clearly they didn't. So we don't want to take him now. So let's let's do what we can. And looking back at it, at it, you know, Devontae Smith goes to the Eagles at 10. Who would you rather have at this point? And, and we all know the Giants offensive line is, is probably not good. Would you rather have Rashawn Slater or Kadarius Toney and a first rounder and a, uh, a fourth rounder and a fifth rounder? And to me, it's very clear what the answer is. It's the latter. So I give him a lot of credit. And maybe, again, it's more, mostly judge, but I, I can't like differentiate them. A lot of credit for handling that situation as well as it could. Well. I'm with you there because whether I agree that Gettleman basically allowed himself to get played and get backed into a corner is, is one thing, but the result is a result. Like they did make a good trade. What do I think that, uh, that Tony is going to be more than a gimmicky uh, guy on offense. I, I really don't know, but 
the future. Right. So I, yeah, I, I don't know either. And, you know, if I, when I, I honestly didn't, you know, I'd only really, you know, in uh, researched, you know, Waddle and Smith and I, and Tony was obviously a name I had heard, you know, maybe for second round or whatever. Um, but I, I didn't like do a lot of research on him, but in obviously once they drafted him, you know, watching highlights, the first player that came to my mind was Percy Harvin. So just going back to what you just said, like a gimmicky player, Percy Harvin, in my opinion, was not like a wide receiver one. He was a receiver that, you know, played receiver, got a lot of maybe shorter passes, a lot of end arounds, and was a very good player for Minnesota. And then I think Seattle. And if that's what Kadarius Tony is, I'm okay with that. It adds an element to the offense that the Giants currently do not have. Well, that's and assuming so, like, they're going to call plays to take advantage of him, but we all know who the offensive coordinator is. Yeah, and I've seen that also. Like, you know, people love the player, but they don't love the fit. And, you know, I can't really argue against that. All I can say is it would be very odd for them to draft someone in the first round without a clear plan of how to utilize this person's skills. So that's all I can say. Like, it just wouldn't make sense to draft this guy and then have him play five plays a game and have him, you know, run go routes down the sideline. Yeah, that, but why would, we I, put, I just, why would we put that past the Giants lately? Um, because, because of Joe Judge, that's why. Not because of Jason Garrett, because I believe in Joe Judge. Joe Judge is pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, he's definitely made his his impact on the organization like that. It, there's no doubt. And even if Gettleman uh, gets canned at the end of the year, I, I would assume that Joe Judge would still be around, right? You know. Even oh though, yeah, yeah. No, Judge uh, is not going anywhere. Not going anywhere. Well, which is good because I mean, usually the coach, the GM likes to pick the coach, but I think in this case, I think he's a keeper. So the key was the the. Um, the second first round pick next year's bears first round pick. And, and it's projected to be a really good pick because the bears are not going to be very good. Uh, obviously this gives them a little ammunition to be in the QB market, uh, whether it's trading for a disgruntled star like uh, Deshaun Watson, if he's not in jail um, or Russell Wilson would be my favorite or assuming that what I think is going to happen, that they're going to be bad this year and they're going to be looking to draft the next great QB in, in the draft. Uh, was that the first thing that came to your mind when, um, when you saw what the hall was? Uh, the first thing was definitely not, um, Ooh, we can get a quarterback next year, but it, it played into that of, you know, the, now they have the Giants pick and the Bears pick. And, you know, best case scenario, Daniel Jones plays well this year and they can just use those picks to, you know, fill whatever, fill whatever needs they have. They could take a guard, they could whatever, another pass rusher, whatever they'll need. Well, it's hard to say now. And then, then you kind of think of, well, what's the worst case scenario is the Giants have a disappointing season. Jones does not make a leap. You know, they go six and 11 and, you know, after three years, it's just apparent that Jones is serviceable and nothing more. And then, yeah, 
then you're the Giants are in good shape. A, assuming Jones isn't good this year, the Giants themselves will probably be picking, you know, top 12. And yeah, if you have two picks that are in the top 15, you're in really good shape to, uh, you know, potentially move up to top five to get a quarterback or, you know, let's say it's like really worst case scenario, the Giants win like three or four games, which I don't see, but, you know, maybe the Bears do. Then you have like the third pick and the 12th pick. And it's like you pretty much can get the, the first pick, assuming it's also not a team that needs a quarterback. And then also to your point for the veterans, like, I, yeah, I don't know what Russell Wilson's deal is going to be or Deshaun Watson. But let's say next offseason, it's like Russell Wilson is like, I really don't want to go back to Seattle. And then you can offer them two first round picks and, you know, a third and whatever and, and get him. And so, yeah, th- this sets them up in, in so many good ways. That's, that's why this trade was so valuable. And it's actually, it's like a feeling that I've never had before and actually was confirmed when I saw that the giants had never in the, in the common era, which I don't exactly know what it means, uh, what that range is, but had never um, traded uh, to receive a future first round pick. So this is like new territory. I don't like, I don't think the giants have ever had two first round picks since I've been alive. So it's very exciting. If the giants are good, they'll have two first round picks to supplement the roster. If the giants are bad. They'll have two first round picks to get a quarterback and let's just root for the bears to also be bad this year. Yeah. I, I don't have high hopes for the bears. Okay. So that, that was the, the first round. So then the rest of the draft. Rounds two and three will start there. They take the um, the defensive end out of Georgia, uh, and then they take the corner. Uh, I think from UCF, right? Yes. So, so yeah. Your thoughts? Because I'm like a little bit of a novice at this. I mean, I, I heard from places that maybe the uh, the guy from Georgia was uh, a potential first rounder, but had some medical issues. Like, what's going on here? What do we think? So, I mean, the first two days of the draft, rounds one, two, and three, I really could not have been happier with how that played out. Uh, Aziz Ajulari or Ojulari from uh, Georgia. And again, I feel like I have to preface every time with like, I did not watch Georgia football last year, but he was obviously a name that I had read about constantly and on podcasts because Edge Rusher was you know, maybe aside from offensive line, the Giants' biggest need going into the draft. And I will say, this is not, you know, a revisionist history. There were many mock drafts out there that had the Giants taking Ojulari at 11. And I think I had said also last week, talking to you, like, I thought it was possible, um, but I would not have been too thrilled with them taking a pass rusher at 11 because it didn't seem like any of them were worth the 11th pick. Now, when they traded down to 20, I definitely thought that was going to be an edge rusher. And I definitely thought Ojulari was in play for that pick. And then they went uh, with Tony. I said, okay. So they, they, they went with that explosive playmaker and uh, you know, it wasn't to be with with these top pass rushers. Then in round two, you know, they're going at 42. And he's still there. And I thought, wow, they, you know, they, they pass on him at 20 and he's still there at 42. I think, I think it's going to be the pick. 
And then they traded down and got a third round pick next year. And, you know, the draft obviously is a crapshoot. No one knows if any of these guys are going to be good or not. So I've always maintained, I love trading down to get more picks. I want as many picks as possible. And then he's still there at 50 and then they take him. I was so pumped. I I was just like, this is someone who I really thought was, was going to be the pick at 20. He was in play at 11 and now they got him at 50. And for those people who stay like uh, Tony was a reach, two things on that. First of all, I don't know if you could hear some uh, sirens in the background. Sorry about that. But we know now that, yeah, yeah, we know now that the Jaguars were going to take Tony with the 25th pick. Uh, Very very rare that we get such a truth serum from a, a coach, but Urban Meyer said he was heartbroken that Tony was drafted before they picked at 25. So you, you can't call it a reach when we know for a fact he was going to be picked at, at worst five picks later. So put that aside. If I told you that with their first two picks, whether it was 11th or 20th, that the Giants got Ojulari and Kadarius Tony, those two picks were definitely in the realm of outcomes of the Giants' first two picks. The fact that they ended up being the first two picks, I don't really care in what order. And they got an additional first, fourth, an additional first, third, fourth, and fifth is insane value. And, uh, you know, the value of the assets that they received, plus those two players, I, I thought it was a home run. And a lot of people think Ojulari was the best pass rusher, pure pass rusher in this draft. His medical situation is weird. He tore his ACL as a senior in high school and redshirted as a freshman and then played every game the last two years. So I think it's like people may have concerns about a long-term knee issue. Kind of reminds me, if you remember a few years ago with Miles Jack, who yeah. I really wanted for the Giants. But Should people have been picked were concerned. in the first round. Yeah, he had like a, a degenerative knee condition or whatever. And I think, I don't think he's missed any game. Uh, I don't know that for sure, but I don't think his knee has been an issue with Jacksonville and he's been a good player. So it kind of reminded me of that situation. Listen, if he doesn't play till he's 35, okay, I don't really care. Um, I thought it was a great pick at 50 and getting these two guys after trading down twice and accumulating all those picks, I thought was a real home run. And then in the third round, um, um, Aaron Robinson, you know, maybe the Giants version of A-Rob. Um, again, like, listen, I can't tell you, I watched UCF games. I was kind of surprised given that I hadn't really heard of him, that so many of the experts uh, liked him a lot and like labeled that one of the Giants' best picks. He, uh, I guess, is more suited for the slot, which makes sense. Um, more suited for press coverage over zone, which makes sense. That's what the Giants want to run. And uh, he's a little older. I think he turns 24, like during the season. Um, But, you know, they rated him highly. They said he he was part of a group of of players they were considering at 50. So once he was there, you know, slipping in the early third round, you know, that's another added benefit of this trade down with the Bears. They get this extra fifth round pick 
You're right. able to trade we, up we to we get a guy you want. Exactly. That's what draft picks are simply assets. They don't need to all be used on picks. They're just assets you have in your hand that you can use to wheel and deal. And that, you know, no one understands that more than the Patriots and Belichick. You know, we don't need a pick 13 guys, but we have 13 picks. Let's use this guy. Let's use this pick to move up here. And they're just all assets. And that's why yeah, I, but was, Shai, I wouldn't use, I wouldn't use the Patriots as the, I know, uh, they don't, model they don't draft because draft well. they haven't drafted well. And who knows how long, you know what, you know what we hold by in this podcast process over results and the process of accumulating picks is the right process. And, you know, we'll see, we don't know if any of these guys are going to end up. Well, we do know, we did see that funny video from the Eagles war room. I hope you saw it of, uh, when they so they traded down in the third round to below where the Giants ended up picking this cornerback, and they uh, they ended up taking a defensive tackle. I don't know if you saw the video, but um, in the Eagles war room, their GM Howie Roseman was like fist pumping everyone after they picked their defensive tackle, and then he goes over to I honestly don't even know who it was, someone in their front office or, or maybe a, a scout, and he goes to fist pump him. And it like, he did not want to return the fist pump. Like he was clearly pissed off. And then Howie Roseman, like, gives this really awkward, like, why are you upset? Look. And it was just like a really awkward thing that was airing on ESPN. Um, and anyway, the, the, the rumor is that they wanted Aaron Robinson uh, because they really need cornerback help a lot. And by them trading down like a few picks, they did not foresee the Giants trading up Ahead of me, you know, maybe we returned the favor in round one um, from round one. We traded up and took this cornerback. And, you know, if that if he turns out to be a good player, obviously it's it's all worth it. So I, I don't know if uh, he'll, he'll compete with Darnay Holmes for slot corner. Um, I'm of the mindset you can never have enough uh, good cornerbacks. That's why I thought cornerback was in play for round one. Um, I feel like it kind of confirms my belief that cornerback was in play for round one and you know i just the first three rounds i loved what the giants did well that that's good i mean considering we're usually down on gettleman and i i defer to you in terms of your your giants thoughts especially with the draft considering i i'm so i've been so deep into nba in this next season that i couldn't really get get totally uh, immersed in the draft and I'm just not a draft guy. So I, I take your word for it. I just, you don't like Gettleman. I don't like Gettleman. I, just, I was just curious to know because, you know, I, I feel like he was just getting a lot, a lot of praise. I mean, in the New York post was going crazy about what he was doing and, and, you know, ESPN was going crazy about what he was doing, but the reality was they kind of, and again, I'm just speaking about round one. The, the reality was is that everybody kind of did it for him, you know, like they made it so obvious that he couldn't, but whatever. I mean, who knows? We'll see with the Giants. Anything, uh, anything else of note with the draft that, that came to your attention? I mean, uh, I might as well give the Jets a little shine. What'd you think of the Jets? Well, yeah, I, I will say it is funny that, you know, the narrative now is like this trader Dave nickname that, uh, yeah, but first of all, the fact that it's um, not Trader Joe for Joe Judge and the obvious better nickname of Trader Joe's than Trader Dave uh, kind of upsets me. But 
it's not like he went into the draft like planning to trade. You know, if the Eagles didn't make that move or Denver takes a quarterback, you know, 99% chance the Giants are not trading down and they just take, you know, Devontae Smith or Sertan or whoever. Um, so it, it's like, I will say like a lot of things had to happen for that to happen. However, that doesn't uh, include round two, the trade down. So you, you just, you have to give them props. Um, I don't like, I mean, I don't mind it. I like, it's about time that the national media, you know, has given the giants some positive uh, news cycle. I, I'm, I've been enjoying it. The jets. Um, I mean, Zach Wilson, obviously, you know, I, I guess I'm hoping he kind of busts. You know, I, it makes me happier when things, when bad things happen to the jets. Um, I do definitely think he is a high risk, high reward pick. Uh, BYU is not the best level of competition. Um, he, his, his performance, I think, went went down against better competition. Um, so we'll see uh, what his deal is. Uh, they, they, they took – so it, what Jordan Ronan said was had the Giants stayed at 11, they would have taken Elijah Vera Tucker, the guard. And that is who over the Jets – Yes, over Slater. I'm telling you there, there was – here's another thing that's, that's interesting. It seems like, and based on, I think everyone the Giants drafted played last year, it seems like they had hesitation of drafting players who opted out. And Slater did opt out last year. So um, that was an interesting thought that, that I thought of once, um, once, they set, once he said that Vera Tucker would have been the pick. He played last year, very solid, um, definite guard, whereas Slater – uh, was more of a tackle and the Giants have more of a need of guard. Um, but the Jets trading up for him, uh, I don't dislike the player. I, I do have reservations of trading two picks to move up for a guard. Uh, I don't I don't love that value, but if you know if he ends up being a very solid guard next to Beckton, who looks like a an elite left tackle, then that's what they needed to do for their new quarterback. So I don't hate that. Um, and the receiver. Hold on one second. Um, I saw a crazy stat with him. Did you see the stat that he's only got he only got called for two holding penalties? In, I not seen that. He got. I, I I don't even remember what it was, but he got he only got called for like two holding penalties in like two seasons. Yeah, I didn't see that. No, that's good. That's a uh, that's. I mean, if I'm a Jets, that's the thing. Also, the Jets had so many picks. So again, like you don't need to draft 11 players. You can use a couple of those late picks to move up for someone you really want. And that's why having numerous draft picks is so valuable. And Elijah Moore in the second round, I, I, I do like him as a receiver. Um, there's a definite, you could argue, like, should he have been picked over Tony? I think Tony has a lot more um, kind of speed burst and athleticism and, and jukiness to him. But I do like the more pick uh, for the Jets coming in with Corey Davis and Denzel Mims. It is interesting to see what they'll do with Jamison Crowder, who obviously is their slot receiver, but is owed $10 million this year. And Elijah Moore seems to be a slot receiver primarily. Well, so pretty, the writing's on the wall. He's, he's a cap casual. Yeah. Say goodbye. Yeah. You, you, you'd have to think that that's going to happen. Um, and then, uh, then the Jets drafted. So the Jets drafted an Elijah and then Elijah and then two Michael Carters. 
So they had like 10 picks, but only drafted like three names. Um, it was actually really funny. I don't know if you were watching the draft, but when they drafted Michael Carter, the running back, who was there, the, he, who was drafted before the Michael Carter cornerback, ESPN started showing the cornerbacks highlights for like 30 seconds and then stopped and then showed the running back. So it was pretty funny. They, they started showing the, the wrong Michael Carter's highlights. Um, but then they ended up drafting him also. So it was all good. Um, I, I really can't talk to the Jets, you know, picks after round two, really. Um, but I thought they were, you know, I thought they were fine the first two rounds. Zach Wilson, we all knew that was coming for months. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. Day one starter for a rookie. I'll tell you this. Jets fans have very high hopes for their team going forward. Uh, maybe even higher than Giants fans. So it seems like, you know, possibly getting set up for disappointment, which I would sign up for. So where are you well, at? Where are you at with the Giants right now in your expectations? Because I think Giants fans as a whole are just we're just tired of this malaise, this David Gettleman malaise. Um, yeah, and I, I mean we're just assuming Jones is going to be bad and and that everything well, sucks. Well, that seems to be the assuming, vibe I'm getting. You're assuming Jones will be bad. I know that was your first thought was, oh, the Giants got the Bears first. We're going to draft the quarterback. I, I, I'm open to be proven wrong. I, I still have hope for Jones to be a good quarterback. He's got all the talent around him now. And there's really no, I don't, the thing is you can't, you can't pass on offensive line and then use offensive line as an excuse. You know, there's no excuses. So uh, my expectations are the giants are a hundred percent competing to win the division and not like with a six and 10 record like last year, but legitimate, a winning record. They cannot have a losing record. I don't think Edelman will survive a losing record. And so for a 17 game season, uh, nine wins has to be the bare minimum. And um, I also better for us, if they do bottom out so that he's gone. I, I can't root for the team to be bad so that people get fired so that their replacements make the team good. I'd rather the team was just good. So now we can root for the Bears to bottom out, and we actually do play the Bears this year. So that game um, has double implication. I also thought it's really interesting, and maybe not so interesting, but more random, that the, the top four likely picks I had for the Giants of Sertan, Horn, Waddle and Devontae Smith. The Giants play Carolina, they play Denver, they play Miami, and they obviously play Philly. So they will play all four of those players this year and the Bears. So I thought that was that was kind of cool. Um and um I, I this Rogers situation, I think all giant uh, any talk of Rogers coming to the Giants is just just total clickbait ridiculousness. Like there's just not happening um and having said that giants fans should definitely be rooting for rogers to play for the packers this year because if he doesn't that kind of that obviously weakens the division and uh enhances the bears outlook like if you took rogers away from green bay now you have the packers without rogers the vikings with your well, favorite quarterback that, that automatically becomes the worst division in football Right. So without, that's, without uh, looking at it too much. So that's not good for the Bears being so crappy. Um, 
you know, so, so I, I hope Rogers returns to green Bay. Otherwise the bears could, you know, limp their way into seven or eight wins, which, you know, would be okay. They probably pick 13 or 14, but you know, we're shooting for the moon. We want a top five pick from the bears, not from us. It's going to be interesting. I, uh, Oh, one last thing. If you had your, yes. your choice to trade for which QB, uh, Watson, uh yeah. So are you telling me, um, you know, 10 months from now, Watson's legal situation is completely behind him. He was said he was found not guilty or he settled everything and he's, I'm just, he's back uh, in business. I'm talking about right now, right now, at this current moment, uh, well, there, there's yeah. willing and dealing happening. Which guy would you rather take? I, I can't trade for Deshaun Watson right now. I don't think he's even going to play this year. But if I put that aside, I would take Watson over Wilson, given age. Right. Now, if Watson doesn't play next year and has the year off and both guys are available via trade? Uh, well... It's interesting because my my first thought is Watson would cost less, but you're also talking about a guy. I mean, yeah, you're talking about a guy then who hasn't played in like a year and a half, really, from what his end of season to beginning of season. And, you know, it really depends on like the legal situation might be in the rearview mirror, but it was also, you know, determined that he did do all of these things and I don't see the Giants bringing that player into their into their building, so he might not. You know, he might sit out a year and be punished for these things that were determined that happened. I don't think the Giants would then trade for him after the fact. Um, so Wilson, I don't know. Wilson would be interesting. Uh, I don't know how Wilson. He's not that old, right? What is he like? Thirty years old right now? Something like that. Uh, yeah, so Wilson is uh, – oh, he's actually older. He'll be 33 in November. Oh, wow. Yeah, that uh, – I think at that point, you know, I might be – you know, I think at that point I'm looking to draft the top, the top quarterback coming out of college. But it also depends, like, if the Giants team is, is like, really good and, you know, what if Daniel Jones, like, breaks his ankle in week two? And the Giants just have a terrible season, but their defense was really good. Saquon looked like Saquon and their receivers were good. Then it's like, do you roll with Daniel Jones again? Now it's year four. He still hasn't proven it. Now he's been injured every year. No. And do you just no, move you on? Can't. You can't. You, you, you make it like mm-hmm. Sam Darnold and you cut bait. And if he and if right. he boots somewhere else, you don't cry over right. spilled milk. Right. So then at that point, it's like, well, if you trade for Russell Wilson, you know, he's coming into a team that is very good already, except for quarterback. That might make a lot of sense. Um, it, it, I mean, I really, I mean, the Giants just have a lot of good players. I think at this point, it would really surprise me if they, if they, you know, felt the need to like draft someone high and now they have to learn for like a year or two while the rookie QB struggles and the rest of the team of veterans is like kind of getting wasted. So I don't know that that's too far ahead. I can't, I I don't even know what I'm having for dinner. I can't think about next year. All right. Well, all right, shy. We'll let you go. I 
I couldn't see you, but I, I felt your, um, your head start to spin and get a little crazy there. So I, I, <laughs> yeah, I can't think about Russell Wilson on the Giants. I mean, I feel like I just, I feel like I just gave you like a little bit of an aneurysm almost. And, uh, we're not trying to do that. Uh, so no, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going I'm, yeah, I'm to YouTube Daniel Jones highlights right now. Enjoy, en- enjoy those. You can, you can watch the one where he stumbles over himself, uh, running uncontested against Philly. That was, that was a good time. That's uh, my favorite one. <laughs> anyway, Shy, thanks so much for the time, bud. I'll speak to you soon, and hopefully I'll see you, you soon, uh, in a couple of Sundays. We're going to have a little barbecue action. All right. Nice. Yes. Looking forward. Speak later. Thanks again to recurring guest Josh Freeman talking a little Western Conference hoops, and uh, Shy Elberger talking about the Giants draft and a little other draft nuggets. Packed show as always. Good stuff as always. That's episode 112 for the love of the game. Take us out, MOP. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.